I could probably beatbox the back of this. <laughs> all right, it's all good, tech team. I'm ready to go. We can cut the video. There we go. All right, we're getting a little awkward. All right. Good morning, Great Oaks. How are we doing? Hey, who's over here saying, yeah, all right, I love it. Everyone should have that kind of energy if you're in this house this morning. I'll try again. Good morning, Great Oaks. There we go. Hey, I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor here, and I'm excited to be bringing the message this morning. We are closing out our favorite series. And if you haven't been here for that, we've had a different preacher every single week talk about a favorite story from Scripture. Uh, We've heard about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. We've heard about David, we've heard about Joseph, we've heard about John the Baptist. And so today I'm closing up this series, and when Jason had wrote this schedule and said, hey, just pick, a, pick your favorite passage, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, the schedule's already written, and I'm preaching on my favorite passage two weeks from now, so I had to pick a different one. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to pick an obscure story that we don't talk about too often, And I really just wanted to get a chance to talk about a weird story from Scripture that has a talking donkey in it. So that's why I picked it this morning, if you really want to know my heart's desire behind preaching this message. But before we do that, let's go in prayer. Bow with me. Father God, as we gather here this morning, we thank you for who you are. God, as we unpack your word, may it be your words and not mine. God, as we gather in the house this morning, may the Holy Spirit move. Just open our hearts and minds. Pray us on your name. Amen. Let me start with this question. Have you ever had tunnel vision? Have you ever had tunnel vision? For, for example, one of the best illustrations that I can use to talk about tunnel vision is, do you remember when you were a kid and you found your first pair of binoculars? Anybody remember when you found your first pair of binoculars? You're like, man, this is so exciting. You look into them, you can see like 500 yards out, crystal clear. Or if you move the dial too much, all you see is like blurriness. But then as a kid, you turn them around and you look the other way. You're like, oh, what's this do? And then all of a sudden you see like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I see just what's right in front of me just like blown up. Have we ever gotten tunnel vision to where all you see is the very end? To whatever maybe you desire. I get this sometimes when I drive. Uh, Long road trips. I remember when I was a student pastor driving eight, ten hours to take students down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a a teen conference and driving back to southwest Pennsylvania and being like, this is the most miserable part of my job. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in Maryland and I'm like, when is the end going to happen? And then you realize, wait a minute, I passed my exit 15 miles ago. Did I fall asleep? Maybe more personal, have you ever gotten tunnel vision on a problem in life? Maybe couples in the room, have you ever gotten tunnel vision on, man, we're broke. We have no money. We can't make bills. You know, maybe uh, I have a story of like when uh, Meg and I were younger in our marriage and like, you know, we always had to make tough decisions sometimes. You're like, man, we don't have money to cover any, every bill we have. We ain't paying for student loans in. <laughs> that was always the first one to go. This is not financial counseling with Pastor Chase this morning. But have we ever had that moment like problems are just like right in front of us and it's all we see? The story we're talking about this morning really emphasizes tunnel vision. But as I unpack a story this morning, we're going to be in the book of Numbers. 
And I probably, I can't tell you probably the last time you maybe have heard a sermon from Numbers at Great Oaks, but that's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't know about the book of Numbers, it's in one of the first five books of the Bible. And the book of Numbers is this, it's a 40-year telling of Israelites leaving Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land. So that's what the book of Numbers is about. And as we dive into this, there's a couple people groups I want you to know who they are, two in particular. Number one is the Israelites. Those are the easiest ones to explain because we know from the Old Testament, those are God's chosen people that we see God work through before Christ. So God's chosen people that we see God work through before Christ comes on the scene. And then in these two chapters we're going to hit this morning, there's another group of people, and it's the Moabites. And Moab is a pagan country near the promised land under King Balak's rule. Then there's two individuals that we're really going to talk about. Balaam is a prophet and fortune teller who knows of God but isn't really committed to the Lord. And then lastly, another main character of this story is is, is Donkey. Stubborn mammal that's literally just a donkey. I didn't want to leave him out or leave her out actually because we know the gender of the donkey. We don't want to leave her out so that's something you need to know. And I say that because I want you to know there's nothing supernatural, there's nothing different about this donkey, all right? And so there's some background for you as we dive in to this story this morning. Because as we dive in, you're really going to see how God uses unlikely people to move and motivate his mission. That's what this story is all about. So, where we're going to be, Numbers 22, if you want to turn on your Bible, it'll be on the screen, ESV. For those of you using the version app, just click the three letters, ESV. As we dive into Numbers 22, what you need to know about Numbers 22 is from chapter 22 to 24, this is the story from the Moabite perspective, from Moab's perspective, which is really different. So you're going to get to hear some things from the pagan country, what's going on with the pagan king from the book of Numbers, all right? And the next thing you know is the king, Balak, he is super paranoid. Super paranoid. So here's what we know. The Israelites have come up out of Egypt. If you heard Pastor Paul's sermon a couple weeks ago on Joseph, you you heard a little bit about what happened after Joseph and the slavery through Moses. And then now we have them coming up into the promised land. And as they come up out of Egypt, there's a country up here called Moab. And all the people of Moab have heard of how the Israelites have conquered all these people on their border. And now Israel sits on the border of Moab, and the king is super paranoid. He's not going out to meet them. He just said, nope, this ain't good. we got to do something about that. And this is where we pick it up in Numbers 22, starting in verse 4. So Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the people of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed." So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave Balak's message to him. So what you need to know what's going on here is this king is super paranoid. He knows of Balaam, who's not an Israelite, but he can tell the future. 
And so he's sending money to him saying, come and help me. Because I know if you bless them, they'll be blessed. But if you curse them, it is cursed. I think what's important to pick out in here is it was highlighted in the previous text. There's a promise given to God's people, which is the Israelites, earlier on. In fact, about 460 years before this to Abraham. The promise came in Genesis chapter 12 when God said this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let me build up this tension for you. Israel, who's God's people, has this promise from God in Genesis 12. They're now coming up into the promised land after being in Egypt for centuries and for many generations. And they're coming up to the promised land. And Balak sees this as a threat. And he calls a prophet and a soothsayer to says, hey, curse these people. But what neither of them really know is that God is for these people. And has been for 460 years, even though it doesn't seem like it in their story because of how much they've messed up. So here's what happens. Numbers 22, verse 15. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. So he's already sent princes and, they're not, and Balaam's not going to come. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Verse 17. I will surely do you a great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God said to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come... To call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So we have the first set, and God's like, don't go with them. Then we have the second set of people, and again Balaam goes to God and says, hey, what do you think? And God says, fine, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Now as we unpack Balaam's story a little bit, Balaam's not a great guy. We know this because of how the authors in later texts write about him. We see it in Numbers 31 with his death. We also see Peter write about him in 2 Peter, how he's all about money, and that's what his heart's about. In fact, in Revelation, when, when God is dishing out some judgment to some of the churches, Balaam's mentioned in that letter, the church of Laodicea. So I don't have time to unpack all of Balaam's background and attitude, but if you want to study that, there's some places to go. Because that, that defines the next verse. Because he does. He gets up, saddles the donkey, and goes. And in verse 22, it says this. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in, ha- in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, 
with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right nor the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, I am not your donkey on which you have ridden, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Let's unpack a couple things from that. Number one, one thing that we have to remember when reading the Old Testament or reading Scripture in general, sometimes we don't have all the details. Because literally, in that text, nowhere does it say, and Balaam was shocked that the donkey started talking to him. <laughs> like, who are you? Church, when we read some Old Testament, even some New Testament, we have to understand that in the Scripture, it is there for us to get a point. And sometimes that point is not to fully understand everything at work. And that's one of them. But when I see this, when I see this text, one of the main reasons I chose this, there's a certain things that comes to mind when I, when I hear this text. And in fact, the Bible cares so much about genealogy and the line of Jesus. We actually know the genealogy of a lot of things in, in, the, uh, in Scripture. In fact, on, on great research from my part, we believe that an ancient, like a descendant of this donkey is this one. So. Because every time I hear this text, that's what I get is, donkey? That's, what I, I, that's literally what I get. Now, guys, that is totally false. So kids in the room, no, that's not true. All right? But the logical argument that's going on from even the donkey's perspective, wait a minute. I've been with you all of my life. You have rode me many times. Is it my habit to do this to you? Balaam's like, no, it's not. Sorry. I mean, like, the donkey makes a good point. <laughs> and what's funny is, in this story, the donkey actually is the best character that understands what's going on. And what I love about that is the oxymoron of it, that this donkey, which is known to be one of the most stubborn animals is the one that sees truly what's happening in front of them. Because what happened is this, verse 31, continuing the story, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. There's a couple things happening here. 
Number one, numbers matter in text. Three times the donkey kind of saves Balaam's life. Three times. What Balaam doesn't know about this story is what's, happen- what's going to happen next is three times he's going to have to deal with the king of Moab. Three different times it's going to be requested of him to do something. He doesn't know that yet, but that's what's about to happen. The next thing we see in this text is this. The angel of the Lord was standing there with sword drawn. Here's some context clues for everybody. When you open scripture, when you see an agent of the Lord, most times a a messenger being an angel with a sword drawn, that's usually not good. That usually means wrath's about to happen, judgment's about to pass, or somebody's about to die. And then so much in the text that we even know that, hey, I would not have killed the donkey, just you. And then the reason you have, I've come against you is the way you have is perverse before me. Church, we don't know in the text what's going on here. Obviously, God does. So what this tells me, Balaam's mind is on something else. And what I know about Balaam, thank goodness I have a New Testament writer that tells me this in 2 Peter, he loves money. He loves honor. He loves glory. And all he's done through this entire thing is tried to find a way where God's going to be okay with him receiving this. And three different times, God has tried to stop him on this road. So let me sum up what happens next in the next chapter and a half of Numbers 22, 23, and the beginning of 24. So Balaam comes to Balak. And Balak says, I see the encampment over here of all of Israel. Curse them. And Balaam says, I'm only going to speak what God tells me to speak. But what's funny is what Balaam does is says, hey, while I'm doing this, go ahead and set up all these sacrifices. Make these sacrifices. FYI, nowhere did God tell him to do that. And then he goes and sees Israel. And instead of cursing Israel, he blesses them. That's the first time. And then King Balak says, maybe if we come over here and we do something more and there's another sacrifice and something else happens. And so Balaam goes in and says, all right, fine. I'll listen to the Lord again. And again, instead of cursing Israel, he blesses them. Two times this has happened. And because Balak is so paranoid, And so driven that he believes that he can move this his direction, he tells Balaam, all right, hey, one more time, come to me over here. Over here. And on this third time, no no sacrifices are asked for from Balaam. Instead, here's what happens in Numbers 24, verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And then this is what happened. And the Spirit of God came upon him. No more hears the words. No more hears the prophecy. No more hears the message to give. The Spirit of God came upon him. And he blesses Israel again. The third time. And Balak's response is this. 
verse 10 of 24. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Pretty much what the king's saying is, hey, Balaam, so much you could have had. Anything you could have wanted. All you had to do was curse these people or, in fact, do nothing at all. But you spoke what God wanted you to speak. So therefore, the reason you're not honored is God's fault. That seems harsh. But let me ask this question. Church, do we ever, have we ever had that moment when we look around at our life and said, man, things would be going better if it wasn't for God? It's a dangerous thought. But have we asked that question? So you might be like, well, what's the pastor asking? That's kind of weird. No, I'm serious. Sometimes we get so tunnel vision on problems Sometimes we will pull back and say, man, if it wasn't for my faith, this wouldn't be such a problem. We justify things all the time. We say things like, oh, it would be okay if I didn't, if I didn't fully follow Jesus as closely as I, I should. This would be okay. Because one thing that we're in the habit of doing, especially in the church, is when we read stories, especially from the Old Testament, we look at it like, man, and we scoff at it. Like, how could these people be so thick? Really? We wouldn't have these struggles? We wouldn't be like Balaam thinking, oh, how can I squeeze something out of this? All right, God, I'm still going to listen to you, but I would still like something over here on the side. Everyone's uncomfortable. Good. Because that's how we treat things sometimes. And we're told we shouldn't test God. I love this story because it shows a miracle from God speaking through a donkey that sees the glory of his presence of a messenger and gets it immediately. But church, this story is more than a talking donkey. This story is a testimony to God fulfilling promises to his people. Because what you don't know about this is, and I said it earlier, that Numbers 22, 23, and 24 is told from Moab's perspective. As of right now, the Israelites has no idea this is going on. The encampment down there does not know what's happening. But hopefully what they do remember and what is fulfilled, we know from Joshua, as they've entered the promised land at this point, Joshua 21 says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies who had withstood them. For the Lord had not given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. This story is more than just a talking donkey. This story is God saying, I know my people. And I keep my word. I told you in the beginning that Balaam was not an Israelite, really wasn't a strong follower of God, just knew of God. 
would want more about the money. In fact, he dies later because of his roadblocks he throws in front of the Israelites. But God still used him to bless his people. And in fact, the third blessing, the third blessing that Balaam gave over the Israelite camp was this. Numbers 24, 16 through 17 said this, The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come from out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. Even though this is Balaam's telling Moab, hey, this is over. You guys are done for. What I love about this is this is also prophetic because what we do know is this. When the words, you know, a star shall come out of Jacob, usually that means a king. It was the word star. And what we do know is out of this line would come Jesus someday. So why do I tell this weird, obscure story from the book of Numbers this morning? I do it to ask a couple questions. Number one, do we still believe that God does amazing things for the betterment of his people? Do we still believe that? Do you still believe, if you, if you call yourself a believer, that God wants good things for you? Because what I do know and how I know that he wants good things for us is because of that previous text, because we know he sent his son. No more of guessing where the favor lies. I sent you a sacrifice once and for all to defeat sin and death because I want to be with you. Do we still believe that God does amazing things for the betterment of his people? Or do we have this twisted view that if we follow God, our life should be miserable? Now, now don't hear what I'm not preaching. I'm not saying if you follow God, life is going to be full of rainbows, all right? But what I'm saying is we get so twisted that, all right, following God means I'm never going to be happy again in my life. And let's be honest, the last couple of years, some of us might have felt like that. Do we believe that God's bigger than that? Do we believe that God is bigger than our circumstances? Do we believe that God is bigger than the things that go wrong in our lives and things that happen in our lives? Or better yet, the second question I have this morning is this. Do we have such tunnel vision that we don't see God on the move? Are we so focused on problem after problem? Are we so focused on the negativity in our lives? Are we so ingrained in it? Because maybe what I'm saying this morning is, have we looked back at the last couple years and said, man, I ain't God, I ain't God took a vacation. I ain't God checked out. God was like, you know what? I'm going to the beach. I'm not going to be there. Guys, God doesn't do that. However, what I do know is this. We can get so focused on the problem that we miss the hope of the gospel right in front of us. Because what's happening here is this. 
You know, even in this story, Balaam misses it. Balaam misses the point. The point wasn't just to tell the future. The point wasn't just to get something right. The point was, God is at work. Do you see it? So church, let me ask you. God is working still today. Can you see it? Or does there need to be a stubborn mammal that looks at you and starts talking to you to get you to move out of complacency of negativity? That gets me to understand that this world, even though it is flawed, isn't completely lost because we have the hope of the gospel. Maybe it's time to stop being so focused on one position or another or one side or another. Maybe it's time to stop caring what talking heads on TV say. Maybe it's time to stop scrolling through Facebook and being like, man, the world's on fire. Maybe what it's time to do is say, okay, God, how have you blessed me as one of your people? Now, maybe you're like, Chase, I get this, but you don't know my life. I get that. Maybe you got some, maybe you got some major things going on right now. Maybe you got some major issues going on with kids or with your marriage or with your job. And you're like, God's not moving. And what I would tell you is this, maybe you don't see God moving because you're so fixed on this problem. Or on the flip side of the coin, maybe you're like Balaam and you're so fixed on, I want this success, I want this money, I want this honor, I want this success. Do we have so much tunnel vision that we don't see God move? Because church, the answer is this. Faith in God's promises means not always following the expected rational path. I guess the best way to ask this is, do we as a church still believe what Romans 8 says? That no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you have going on in your life. Wait for me to finish. Whatever it is, God has told us it's not big enough to separate you from Jesus. The only way it becomes big enough for you to not see Jesus move is because we've blinded ourselves, and that's on us, not God. That we stop looking at him. I never wanted to be one of those pastors that told jokes over and over again. I haven't used this one here, so I'm okay to do it, I think. It's in my repertoire. There's, a, there's an old school joke. and I mean, this is like 1970s preaching, probably. About these two kids. And they're the biggest troublemakers in their entire neighborhood. And the mom gets so distraught that she calls the pastor and says, Pastor, you gotta turn to my kids because there is just problems. And what's happened is there's things missing from this woman's house. And it's probably my kids. The pastor comes over 
and just looks at him and says, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Gets so mad, starts screaming at him, where is Jesus? The youngest one just bolts out of the room and screams. Mom's like, what's wrong with you? And the youngest looks at mom and says, Jesus is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> Sweet, old school jokes still work, that's great. <laughs> Guys, the point is this. When we think Jesus is missing, it is us. He's always been there. I hope you know it. If you call yourself a believer, he wants to be there for you day in and day out. His spirit wants to move you. I hope you have hope in that. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please see one of us today. Please talk to Paul at Connection Central. Talk to Jason at the door. Talk to myself because we want to talk to you about this. We don't want you to feel hopeless anymore. We want you to know that God fulfills his promises because the amazing thing that is still working in and through us is Christ. And we know that from all that was prophesied and promised to us. I hope you know that today. Let's pray. God, as we come here this morning, we just thank you. God, we ask that we see you. May our eyes be fixed on you and not problems or striving for success. May we truly not be distracted and have tunnel vision. May we know that you are for us. God, may we need to slow down and realize that we are the problem. May our eyes find you and be comforted that we have the hope in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.